Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. Well, earlier in the service we had uh, Nemo's version of the story of the lost son, or more commonly known as the prodigal son, which is one of Jesus' most famous stories. Uh, although, actually, it's, it's about the father who had two sons. And so my preferred title would be The Story of a Crazy Loving Father. Now just imagine the scene. We discover if we looked in Luke chapter 15 and verses 1 to 2 that Jesus is busy eating with sinners and tax collectors. The worst of sinners. They collected taxes for Rome and they were therefore considered traitors But more than that, they were notorious for being dishonest. They charged very high taxes and pocketed the money. And Jesus is eating with them. Now, within an ancient Middle Eastern culture, eating a meal with someone was highly significant. It was a profound sign of your acceptance of that person. So Jesus eating a meal with these sinners and tax collectors was a sign of God's acceptance of them and forgiveness of them. And there are these religious leaders standing nearby looking at Jesus and tatting, lifting their noses up because they think they know God better and God would never hang out with undesirables like that. And it's in response to these, le- these religious leaders tatting that Jesus tells three stories. The first two are kind of warm-up stories about a lost sheep and a lost coin. And then he gets to his main story. The story about a crazy, loving father. And it starts off in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my inheritance. Now this is an extraordinary insult upon the father within that culture. A father might give his, one of his youngest sons his inheritance before he dies, but even then, that son would be expected to look after his father until he dies. For a son to request that is simply unheard of. It's unprecedented. It's extremely shocking. It's kind of as if a son comes up to his father and says, I wish you were dead. Your existence is an inconvenience for me. Best case scenario, you're dead. Second best scenario, You sell everything quickly. You give me my portion so I can take my inheritance and leave because I want nothing to do with you. I love your wealth more than I love you. This was a serious breaking relationship and it would have broken the father's heart. And this son dishonors his father. Now within an ancient Middle Eastern culture, which is an honor-shame culture, This would have brought incredible shame upon the father and incredible shame upon the family. The only way to restore honor to the father within that culture would be to punish the son severely. This is the very thing that the Tatin religious leaders who are listening to the story 
or expecting. But Jesus says, so he divided his property between them. He agreed? Is he crazy? What about his honor? What about the honor of his family? This is shocking behavior. In that cultural context, this is simply unheard of. It's unprecedented. But it's a dramatic illustration of the father's love for his son. That he grants freedom to his rebellious, shameful son. He lets him go. The son doesn't waste any time. We read in verse 13, not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had and he set off to a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. He starts living the celebrity's life. He gets uh, these designer robes made to measure. He's got convertible sport model chariots on his driveway. He's having champagne and caviar for breakfast. And whenever he goes out, drinks on him. He's the center of the party and a new woman every night. But then we read in verse 14, a severe famine hit. A severe famine is the equivalent to the credit crunch, an economic downturn. And he has been living way beyond his means and the banks have called in the loan and he doesn't have any money so he's down at the pawn shop. He's pawning his flat screen and his Xbox trying to pay off his debts, trying to pay off his mortgage on his mansion. Before he knows it, he's out on the street homeless. And as soon as his money dries up, so do his friends. And at this point, he turns to www.worstjobspossible.com and the only job he can find is feeding pigs. This is incredibly shameful for a Jewish boy because pigs are considered unclean. And the the tutting religious leaders who are listening to this story would be shocked at the shame of the son. It's shameful to ask for your inheritance while your father is still alive. It's shameful to spend all your inheritance on wild living rather than looking after your father and your family. And it's shameful to be working with pigs. Even the tax collectors are thinking, shame on you. This is the worst shameful person ever. And eventually he's so hungry that he even starts longing to eat the pig food. And then we told in verse 17 that he came to his senses. He came to his senses, and basically what he says is, I'm starving to death. Yet back home, the servants eat better than this. My father houses them and feeds them. My dad's a great guy. I need to go back to my dad. I know my dad will never accept me as a son after what I've done, but maybe he will accept me as a hired servant, a cleaner or something. And so he prepares his speech. He rehearses. He speaks about what he's going to say to his father in verse 18. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven, that's God, and against you. I know I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And then we told in verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. He walked back to his father. And then it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. We get the impression that the father is waiting for him. That he would wake up every morning and open the window and look out to see if he could see his son. Refusing to give up hope. 
And today he sees his son. And it says that he ran to his son. Firstly, he was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, we kind of miss the joke over here. This is the punchline of the story. This is the most shameful thing in the whole story. The father runs. If you were an ancient Middle Eastern peasant, you would start laughing at this point. That is embarrassing. You see, old men never run. It's undignified. It's embarrassing. They wear these long robes, and in order to run, you have to lift up the robe like a skirt, like a little girl, and possibly show your underwear. I mean, this was shameful. This was imp- the servants didn't know where to look. They were, where, where do we look? This was shameful. Yet this is what the Father does. And the, the people listening, the touching religious leaders listening to the story, they would have been so shocked, they would have fell off their chairs. They would be expecting the son to come groveling in the dirt, begging for forgiveness, kissing the father's feet while the father remained aloof. That would have been the honorable thing. This was shameful. Within that culture, culture this is absolutely crazy behavior. Yet this is also the loving thing to do. You see what the father does? He takes the shame of his son upon himself. He shifts the shame from his son onto himself so that his son can be received and welcomed as a son. And as the father, he sets the precedent for the whole village. If he embraces his son, then the whole village needs to embrace the son. And it's the same for us. If God accepts someone, then we too need to welcome them and accept them. This would have been a challenge to the touching religious leaders. But this is the love that the Father shows. And the Son starts off with his speech that he's prepared, and he says in verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your Son. It's interesting that he omits the part about becoming a hired servant. It's as if after he's received this love of his father, he suddenly realizes it's impossible for him to do anything to earn his father's love and grace and forgiveness. And it's the same for us. There's absolutely nothing we can do to earn God's love and grace and forgiveness. We just need to walk back to our father and receive it. The father will have none of this. He interrupts in verse 22 and he says, Quick! Bring the best robe. The best robe would be the father's robe. His celebration robe. His best suit. Bring the best robe and put it onto him. He puts, the father puts his honor and his dignity onto his son. The best robe. Bring a ring. Sorry, put a ring on his finger. That would have been the signet ring. The sign of authority. The father gives his authority to the son. And sandals on his feet. Servants don't wear sandals, only sons. In other words, he totally reinstates the son 
is as a full member of the family with his honor and dignity and authority. And then he says in verse 24, sorry, verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Over here, he goes way over the top. He blows the whole entertainment budget for the year, and he says, bring the fattened calf. We're going to have a party with the whole village. You see, God simply can't restrain his joy when people return to him. You might think, but that's not fair. He doesn't deserve it. You're right. He doesn't deserve it. But that's grace. It's undeserved favor. He comes home empty-handed. He doesn't ask for anything. But his father lavishes love and goodness and forgiveness upon him. And that's what God is like. He's like a crazy, loving father. But unfortunately, so often, we are like the shameful, rebellious son. We think we know what is best. We want to do it our way. We act as though God is dead. We don't want to have any relationship with God. We waste our life. We ruin our life. But God is waiting, longing for us to come back to our senses. And when we do, He comes running to us. He's filled up with compassion for us. He totally embarrasses Himself with His expression of love. And He puts His arms around us. He embraces us. He kisses us. And even though we don't deserve anything, He gives us His dignity, His honor, His authority. He restates us totally into His family. And then He throws a massive party for us because He simply can't restrain His joy that you have come back to Him. And if this is not your picture of God, then you don't know God. Floyd McClung tells a story about a guy called Sawat. Sawat lived in the very rural parts of Thailand, near the Malaysian border. He moved to Bangkok because of the dullness of village life. The first time he went to the top floor of the hotel, he was shocked. Every room had a big window facing the hallway, and in every room was a girl. This was his first experience of the world of prostitution in Thailand. But it wasn't long before he got caught up in it like a a stick in a raging river. He soon became one of the central figures in Thailand's most loathsome trade, where it's estimated about 10% of all girls end up as prostitutes. And just as he was entering the top end of the business, a whole string of bad luck hit him. He was arrested. 
The word was spread in the underworld that he became a spy for the police. As a result, he lost everything. And he found himself living in a shanty on the city rubbish dump. And as he was sitting in his shanty, he started thinking about his father. His father was a simple Christian man. And when he had left, his father said, I will be waiting for you. Would his father still be waiting for him after all he had done to dishonor his family? Would his father still receive him after all he had done? For the word had filtered back about the crime he had got involved in. So he devised a plan. He decided to write a letter to his father. He said, Dear Father, I want to come back home, but I don't know if you will receive me. I have sinned greatly, Father. Please forgive me. I'll be on the train that comes through our village on Saturday. And if you will, are still waiting for me, won't you tie a piece of cotton, in, a piece of cloth, on the poe tree outside our house? During the train trip, he started reflecting over his life. And he realized his father had every reason to refuse him and not to welcome him. He couldn't bear the pressure any longer and he was so nervous that he asked a fellow passenger to look out the window and to see if his father would receive him. As the train pulled up into the village, say what sunk his head between his knees and said, Sir, can you see anything? It's the only house with a poetry. The fellow passenger replied, Young man, your father hasn't put a piece of cloth on the poetry. Look, the whole tree is covered with white pieces of cloth. And he looked and he couldn't believe his eyes. There was the tree covered in pieces of white cloth. And in front of it was his father dancing up and down, waving a piece of white cloth. And he started running next to the train. And as the train came to a stop, he ran into the train and embraced his son. He threw his arms around his son with tears of joy. And he said, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. God is waiting for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we reflect on how much you love us, it breaks our heart to know how often we have turned our backs on you. And Father, although we have often turn our backs on you and done things our own way. You don't give up on us. You continue to look out for us, waiting for us. And you come to us. You came to us in Jesus. And you took our shame upon yourself on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you. And Father, in response to that, we, we realize there's nothing we can do to earn that love, nothing we can do to earn that acceptance. We realize that you love us because you love us. Because you love us. That it isn't dependent on how sorted we are, how good we are, 
how spiritual we are, how knowledgeable we are. But it's only dependent on how good you are. You love us because you love us, because you love us. And Father, in response to that, we want to declare that we love you too. We want to thank you for your goodness. In the name of Jesus. Amen.